The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hi, everyone. This is Suzanne. Welcome back for another episode of Messages of Hope. This is a program hosted by an evidential medium. That's me. A very unexpected path for me, but it's led me to meet some of the most fascinating people, both here and on the other side of the veil. My guest today is one of those women. Her name is Leanne Hull. After her son Andy chose to end his own life, she chose not to be a victim. I'm so impressed with Leanne. I first met her at a party when we had just finished celebrating the life of uh, two young men on the other side with the co-founder of the organization called Helping Parents Heal. And at that time, Leanne had pamphlets from an organization she started after Andy's passing Andy's Sunshine Foundation. I want to make sure I get that right. We'll get it right when we bring Leanne in here in a minute. But then when I met Leanne up close and personal at a private dinner hosted by uh, several Shining Light parents, I just knew I had to talk more to this powerful woman. Let me not talk too much without bringing her in. Leanne, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm thrilled to be here. Really excited, Suzanne. Oh, boy. So help me out right away so I don't stumble over this anymore. What is the name of the foundation you started? It's Andy Hall's Sunshine Foundation. There we go. And the website for that is andyssunshine.com. Isn't that right? Correct. Yes. Okay. With two S's, A-N-D-Y-S, sunshine.com. So I remember sitting there across from the table, sitting across from you at the table and becoming aware of the presence of Andy. And I looked across at you and I said, your son is showing me baseball. There's something about baseball around him. And you turned to your husband with the biggest smile on your face. Why was that so important? Well, that uh, really is the identifying. I mean, there were so many things that would identify Andy's personality and his character, but for anybody in general, baseball, because of his love of baseball, his passion for it, and that's really where he got the nickname, Sunshine, was on the baseball field, so that would be a direct connection to him. 
Perfect. So just it's funny how those in spirit often know just the one thing. If you just have a couple of seconds to get their point across, and Andy did that so well that evening. And I realized I had been in the middle of writing my book still right here with some parents who I was already friends with. But I realized that all of the children in that book passed by illness or what we call uh, acts of God or natural causes. And I didn't address in that book what happens when somebody takes their own life. And meeting you, I saw a big need to include that topic in my book. And you so willingly volunteered to let me interview you to address suicide at the end of the book still right here. And Boy, that hour I spent with you was so powerful. So let's just recreate some of that here for everybody. What is it that makes you so strong and not a victim, considering what you've been through? Uh, Probably two things. One being a decision, and I really stress that so much in my journey that it's been a, a path of making decisions over and over again rather than the path making decisions for me. I really wanted to be in the driver's seat and didn't understand how that would be so critical as I went forward, but but it was. And then the other is I would I've told everyone from the very beginning that this has been a divine led journey and I have felt moved and pushed and pulled in all different directions that I certainly wasn't comfortable with in many of them to move forward in and and that's that's been such a gift and a blessing but i had to i had to accept that and make decisions for my future as well so wow i'm just thinking about people listening to this and if you're not a victim what what is your mentality then i know you just said you you know you're in the driver's seat but you can't change this you can't turn the clock back so do you have a certain mantra, or what's your basic belief here? Yeah, I, I really tried to differentiate between emotions and decisions, and so that we don't want to invalidate people's emotional process, their emotional journey, the pain, whatever, the loss, the the missing that loved one that we, I mean, we miss their physical presence, and so all of those things are are acceptable and normal and and to be expected. But you can get stuck in that space and and you don't you don't ever learn and you don't know how to ever find joy and love and laugh and live. And that was really important for me, probably not so much. It was interesting because it wasn't so much for me at the beginning. My motivation was not wanting my son to be defined by how he transitioned to the other side. I wanted people to truly hold on to that sunshine and be able to carry him forward with them. And that required that I show them a way to do that because in our society, we don't know how, no one's taught how to do that. Right. I'm not sure I knew how, I can't tell you that I know why I knew how to do that, but I did. I knew how to do that from the from that very within a couple hours. You know, I, I it was a divine led journey. To sh- you mean by that I knew how to do that? To how to focus on who Andy, the Andy you know, and not define him by that act. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and just also really just you know, I said two things 
when I made my way to the bathroom at the very right after Andy passed, you know, when you're kind of looking in the mirror and you're trying to reconcile that this this had happened to me and not somebody else and not some other story that we read in the newspaper, but that this was now my what I my reality. And I said, yeah. I will praise you in the storm, and I'm not the first mom to lose a kid. And those were definitive statements about how I was going to move forward. And those just came out of my mouth. So that was very interesting. It was interesting for me to realize I was saying that as I was saying it. Now, did you mean I will praise you in the storm? Was that a a, a statement to God? Yes. Okay. Yes. That based was on your faith. My religious, right? Based on my my background, which was an evangelical Christian background. But regardless of that, that statement alone is a choice of whether you're saying it about God. It's choosing. I'm going to choose to find a way to find the blessing in this situation. I'm going to choose to find joy. I'm not going to sit here and be stuck. That's amazing. Within minutes of that happening. Wow. Now, well, when we think about faith, it's kind of interesting because that's that's a word that's thrown about in our society so much. Well, if you just have enough faith, and yet when the bad things happen as we perceive them and bad things happen in our life, that's the first thing to go out the window is our faith. We seem to associate faith only with good things. And therefore, I didn't want to do that. I recognized that life is full of the yin and yang. And, and if I was going to accept one, I had to accept the other. And that's part of life. What, a, what great advice. Wow. Now, shortly after Andy's passing, you went to see a medium and some people may think that those who take their own life go to some kind of a different place. How did Andy make his presence known to you, and how soon oh thereafter? In, I mean, I was there. I, I went to see her 40 days after Andy Andy passed, and I certainly didn't tell anybody I was going because I'd have been, I'd have been uh, thrown out of my church. And so mm-hmm. he was there. Instantly. In fact, she told me, she said, he's been here just waiting for you to get here today. And she said it was kind of surprised her because it was so quick that he was there so quick and just full of life and energy. And it was definitely, you know, there wasn't a doubt I was talking to my son. No doubt. Now this, this was my, my friend and colleague, uh, Suzanne Wilson, right? Correct. And did Suzanne know anything about who you had on the other side or how he passed? At the reading, yes. I mean, but not before. We certainly <laughs> not before. Have, um, no, we we certainly wouldn't have walked in the same circles um, because of my my religious background. You know, that wasn't going to be. We weren't going to have the same types of friends or or running into each other. We just had different paths. So that and it was super quick too. After Grant and passed, did, did she discern correctly how he passed? Oh gosh, yes. Yes, right at the beginning, she she identified, you know, that he had shot himself, and um, and she said that he that that um, his blood was poisoned, and so that really identified. We had confirmed with the coroner and medical examiner, Andy had been taking a prescription drug called Accutane, 
And unbeknownst to me, unfortunately, I wish I had obviously known more about the drug, but the there was a risk of suicide from that particular drug. And it literally had poisoned his blood and altered his ability to think clearly in the, his frontal lobe. And so when she said that, because Andy said, my mom, my my blood, I was poisoned. And mm-hmm. it was, um, so it was very, yeah, it was no doubt that she was exactly right on with what had happened with him. And yet here he is. Uh, coming through and showing you that he was okay, which is just a beautiful thing. But now you're left to deal with this. I'm going to use the word stigma because this is part of your mission is to educate people about suicide. And a lot of people don't want to talk about it. And I, I particularly encouraged people to listen today because we need to be educated and get past that stigma. How do you deal with that? I started right away by saying the word suicide. That stigma uh, will be changed, unfortunately, by the people that are left after having experienced a suicide. We're the most powerful advocates to make that change, to not let it define us or our loved one. And it's, it's, it's no different than uh, saying someone died by cancer or something else. And when we can embrace it that way, then we can begin to change the stigma. If we can change the stigma too, you know, then maybe people are going to feel more free to reach out and ask for help if they're having thoughts of suicide. But with so much stigma around it, you don't even dare ask. Gosh, try articulating, I'm thinking about suicide. And, and what is anybody's response in our society? Well, it's not good, and it certainly doesn't move any. You know, doesn't encourage anybody to want to get help. Exactly. It's now, you, I remember you sharing with me how, when you started sharing that openly with people, uh, didn't you change the way that you talked about it, like with your doctor? Because it, our society says committed suicide, which you know leads one to believe that someone um, committed a crime. And the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention is really, and it's a national organization, has really made great efforts to say completed. So we talk about people attempting suicide. Okay, so they're attempting and then completing. So just to change that verbiage takes away that they've done anything wrong. You know, it's, of course, we wish they hadn't. Of course, we wish that there were a different alternative, but that being said, it's still, it's, I, I don't see it any differently than an impulsive moment in the brain when you're trying to just stop whatever pain is going on. There's a misperception that people are selfish or whatever the case is if they make that choice. You know, I didn't really understand that until I've had those thoughts myself. And having had those thoughts after Andy passed, I recognized that, first of all, you're not thinking about anyone else, and it's very, very difficult to to reach out and get help. It's hard to get out of that moment of where you're feeling so pain. That's why it's so important to establish good coping skills in advance, and understand some of the challenges that you may be experiencing and, and reaching out for help before you reach that point. 
This is a really important point to make because I'm I'm giving you the chance to share how strong you've been, but here you're clearly showing that you are very human and you also wish to join Andy at times. So what were some of the coping skills that helped you get past it? Well, because I do, I have so many in advance and I had such a great, I've been an, you know, an avid reader. So within my brain at any given moment, when I am facing those thoughts of not wanting to be here, it is those, all of that information that I have already placed in my brain is there as well. So while I may have this thought, I've got all of these other thoughts that are that are there to assist me in processing it. So that's the difference. It's that bridge from that emotional moment, and it will take me over to a place where I can make a different decision. It doesn't necessarily take the pain away, or my yeah. you know I could be crying, but it it'll it'll help me to navigate over to a place where I can I can make a healthy choice. I use music. I have a pre-selected group of music on my phone at any given time. I am guaranteed I have picked this group of music out. So I know that 100% of the time, if I put on any one of these songs that's in this play selection, it will alter my chemistry, alter my body. It changes me just enough to pull me out of that moment to allow me to make a healthy decision. So books, wow. music, deep breathing, um, taking I a I love walk. that. I love that, Leanne. I want to stay there for a minute because I attended your workshop at the Helping Parents Heal Conference for parents of children who had taken their own lives. And you started with this music. And here you were about to talk about a pretty heavy topic. And you're dancing around in front of people. You're singing aloud and admittedly saying, my voice is not the greatest. Yet there you were without inhibitions, because you knew the power of music. So I just want to repeat that for everybody listening. And I promised all of you that we would be talking about more than just suicide. We'd be giving you tools to help you through your greatest challenges. And what Leanne just shared is one I've never never heard from anybody, but it's anticipating those bumps in the road, those really tough times for the human in earth school here and have those specific songs, like Leanne said, a hundred percent guaranteed to lift you out of your funk. I mean, that's faster acting than any pill or any drink or anything and far more helpful and just have it ready to play. And, and it's like Leanne said, it just alters your brain chemistry, alters your thoughts, and gives you that pause to move on to more healthy choices. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, it doesn't fix you. So sometimes people will misinterpret that and think, oh, well, you're telling me if I just play a song, I won't be sad anymore. And no, that's absolutely not what I'm saying. So I want to be really clear about that. But it it will. So, so many of the parents that I have run into in this journey who've, who's, who've lost children, and they will post on Facebook or whatever these really sad, sappy songs. And yeah, I just want to ask, why are you listening to that? Why would you? I don't ever play those songs, ever. 
I mm-hmm. will change. I never do because I know what they're going to do to me. And they'll say, well, they make me think about my child. Yeah. Well, no, fine. <laughs> no, I don't want to think about my child that way. That's and I right. I want to be in that space. And I work, I've worked my butt off to, to take care of myself. This is an active journey. This isn't a passive journey. So I don't ever leave it to chance. If I'm in a fragile state of mind and I'm getting ready to get in my vehicle, I'm not going to just put on the radio and leave it to chance that something might pop up that's going to enforce mm-hmm. the sadness that I may be feeling. I'm, like you said, I'm going to anticipate it in advance, and I'm going to make sure that I'm in a, an okay place before I ever leave it to chance, if you want to say, to listen to random songs on the radio or whatever that might be. I mean, I really don't do that very often. Wow. That is so empowering. I love that. Don't leave it to chance. You're absolutely right. I mean, I just attended the celebration of life of a dear friend, and and they played this fantastic movie video tribute to her, and we all loved it. But the music, I, I kept my composure throughout the whole ceremony until this one song came on and uh it was beautiful but everybody was in tears and the music played a big part in that it opens our heart but i do want to make a point that we humans can become somewhat addicted to even the sad feelings and that's why we hear this sad song and it opens our heart but we have to realize that that is a chemical thing going on within us and Thank you, Leanne, for showing us that we need to be prepared and aware when that happens. Wow. Yeah. So we have five minutes before we have to go to a break here. Let's address the subject of guilt surrounding suicide. For those who are still here, I don't want to use the word left behind, even though I just did, but, you know, that's the way people tend to think. So those who are still here deal with guilt you i'll just let you take that wherever you want to take it it's a decision i made that instantly that first of all um nothing i I recognized i couldn't bring andy back so that's done now what i do going forward i focused on two simple things and i would repeat it like a mantra I don't have to do that anymore because I can't even, I couldn't conjure up guilt even if I tried. It's not even something I have to work on. It's not something I have to try to dispel. It is absolutely 100% not there ever. But I focused on two things. I knew without a doubt that Andy loved me. And I knew without a doubt that he knew I loved him. And both of us would have done anything for each other. We would never have wanted to hurt each other. That being said, then, I did the best I could. He did the best he could. And nothing else mattered. And it was simply a decision and practicing changing my thought process. It didn't come instantly. So when people say, well, I tried this. Okay, great. You tried it how many times? Once? Twice? Okay, I tried For two years, I practiced different thought processes and behaviors until they became a regular part of my daily existence to where I never had to think about it again. This is amazing. I I love that people get to hear this. I love that this is going into the archives. I'm asking you listening. If you loved what she just said there, just like I did, play that over and over. Guilt is a decision. 
and she didn't get it immediately. She trained and it wasn't instant. Two years. Some people may be saying two years. Yeah. But every time you have those empowering thoughts, that's, that's rewiring your brain. Right, Leanne? Yes. I, I absolutely did re, I moved those thoughts and I focused. And we can talk more about that after the break, too. Um, There were some images that I had that needed to be changed. And what I did with those images was so important on my journey forward. It was, and it was part of rewiring. The first part was not even addressing the guilt. Absolutely would just, and I would sometimes say, stop, stop, Leanne, stop. You're talking to yourself that that immediately takes you out of the story to a higher perspective. So beautiful. We we have a minute. What you mean, disturbing images from when Andy passed, they were just haunting. Well, they don't anymore. I mean, I, I tell people that I could describe to you what happened that day. I usually, I usually don't because they can't handle it. It's not that I can't because I certainly can. I can talk about it almost devoid of any kind of emotional response from it because I moved that image. I picked one image, one image of Andy pitching in the October before he passed, and and it looked like a scene out of a movie, and there were um, scouts with radar guns, and, and Andy pitched like unbelievable, lights out, and when he finished pitching, he literally leapt off the mound like a gazelle, and he had this joy and I was watching him and I'm getting goosebumps now just because Mm -hmm. it's the most powerful memory for me and so I knew that if and it's creating it's it's almost making me tear up because it's so emotional that I could count on that image anytime I went to the other image I would I would immediately change my thought process and I'd almost repeat you know in not out loud but I'd go through that little skit scene in my head and relive it. And so now, anytime, you know, if I were to start to think about what happened that day, I'm already there on the pitching mound. My brain doesn't even stay there. It, I have to force it to stay there because all I want to do is go to the pitching mound. And it's trained. And it's there. And it's not something I have to work at anymore. It is powerful. I, I didn't understand the power that I had in my brain, in my ability to control my thoughts, in the ability to control my emotions and replace the ones that I didn't want with ones that, that brought more love and joy and happiness. That's, wow. I'm sure you can hear. It's, it's a very yeah. passionate thing for me. It's, it's, it's powerful. I, I- it's hard for your passion not to affect others who hear you. And I hope that those of you who are listening to Leanne are, are feeling motivated. We're talking to Leanne Hull about the topic of suicide. We have to take a break now. But when we come back, we'll take your calls. If you have questions for Leanne, 816-251-3555. Come back in a few minutes and we'll keep talking with Leanne. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Dorothy Day, a co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement in America, called for not a revolution of arms, but a revolution of the heart. Since the beginning of our nation, the American Revolutionary War, and long before that actually, there's not been a time without conflict somewhere in the world. Makes you stop and think, doesn't it? Certainly we live in challenging times. Each day brings seemingly limitless opportunities to take offense. And each opportunity offers me a choice. I can give a knee-jerk response in fear or anger, or I can choose consciously to respond in love. My choice may seem insignificant. After all, I'm only one person. But as history has taught us, one person can make a difference. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment. Unity founder Charles Fillmore is quoted as saying, Here is a mental treatment guaranteed to cure every ill. Sit for half an hour every night and mentally forgive everyone against whom you have any ill will. The act of forgiveness is powerful medicine. Is there someone in your life that you can work on forgiving? Try this exercise tonight. To forgive is to set yourself free. Find out more about Unity at unity.org. Join Deborah Moffat for fascinating interviews and lively conversation on Divinely Inspired Living. Every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Central, Deborah explores ideas that encourage self-inquiry and spiritual exploration. Each week, Deborah talks with best-selling authors and top experts who share their wisdom on a wide variety of subjects like creativity, intuition, spirituality, business, and health. Listen live or get the show later as an on-demand podcast. Tune in every Tuesday here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you've been on a spiritual path for a long time, what can you read that's new and exciting? Try Unity Magazine. It's designed for the seasoned spiritual student with in-depth articles and interviews about spiritual practices and philosophies. Our columnists share their own faith journeys and cover healing, science, and psychology with even a little scripture thrown in. You'll read some classic authors and some new ones. Get a free trial issue at unitymagazine.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to this great conversation with my friend Leanne Hull. I met her through the organization Helping Parents Heal. Andy's son, I'm sorry, Leanne's son, Andy, chose to end his own life. But we're not just talking about children who have passed by suicide. This applies to anybody. So please uh, 
If you have a question about suicide, you want to ask it of Leanne, feel free to call in. The number is right there on the screen in front of you. It's 816-251-3555. But Leanne, you mentioned when we were chatting before the show started that you're in a totally different space now. And you've been working on a book about your journey and that it paused for a while. Uh, Why don't you tell us about the title of the book and what that different space is like? I wanted a a book that really reflected my real journey. And so the title of my book is How to Live When You Want to Die. And I thought that there were probably a lot of people that could identify with, with that, but probably wouldn't voice it, wouldn't necessarily say that to anybody. But I know especially for so many of us at those initial stages after we our, our kid has moved, then, you know, that is, it's hard for us. And I started writing the book and it came really easy at the beginning. I'm probably about a third of the way through. And then it's been about two years since I've written in it. And I, and people would say, you know, when are you going to be done? Or are you, you know, are you writing? No, no, I'm not writing. And I really trusted that when it was going to be right again, just like it was right at the beginning, that it would be right for me to continue. And what I realize now, I'm going to actually feel like I'm ready to write again. And there's a lot of content going through my head now, but it's a total different tone to the book. The information is still the same. The tone is different. And I'm excited for that to be able to, because I really want to help people to understand that there is hope and there is light and that I my life is weirdly, uh, oddly, because it just sounds so unnatural to say I've lost my kid to suicide and, and I feel blessed. I feel wow. like I'm the, such, I'm the person that now that I have been meant to be all of my life. I'm sure that statement stunned some of our listeners, and uh, and it's because of all the things you've been talking about up till now. I I see we do have a caller. Jennifer is on the line. Jennifer, you have a chance to ask a woman who's been there and come out stronger for it. What's your question for Liam? Well, um, my name is Jenny, and I had a son who also committed suicide. And we do know that it was because of a pharmaceutical he was on. And I've, you know, I've reconciled with that, but I wonder if there's anywhere that would give me information as to how to hold pharmaceutical companies responsible, I guess. You know, I actually, I interviewed six, seven attorneys in the process of thinking about that. I contemplated suing the pharmaceutical company, the dermatologist, and and his school at that point in time. And what I realized was that a lawsuit for for my personal journey would have closed doors and that I was going to have a greater opportunity to have an impact on the world and the community to talk about this drug and the impact of so many different things without a lawsuit. A lawsuit closes doors. I didn't want to check because my son, and I'm, I'm not prepared. I'm not capable. I knew I didn't want to be in that journey to battle 
the large pharmaceutical companies. So that's not a battle I can do. Can I impact my community and talk about it to other kids and other parents? You bet. And I felt that that was where I was supposed to go because I didn't want to get stuck in that anger and that hurt and that space of that suit mentality and fight mentality. I didn't want to fight. I wanted to love. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to change. And I could do that without battling the pharmaceutical company. And I just want to hug both of you because it's the perfect answer from the heart. And Jennifer, I hope it's meaningful to you. Just follow your heart. That's that's just advice from Leanne. But if you do decide to take that on, just just keep what she said there in mind. Come from a place of love and making something better turn out from this. Your heart okay. will know if, if you're supposed to take yeah. that on. Okay? Right. Yeah, right. It may be the path for you, but it wasn't for me. No, I, it's, it's really too late for me, and there have been um, lawsuits like the the kind with a lot of people involved. I can't remember that name. but Yeah, class action. Yes, there have been, yeah. um, but I've never gotten involved. I just thought, you know, there. it just would seem like there should be an easier route, but there isn't. And I'm... No, I talk about it everywhere I go. Everywhere I go, I talk about it, and that's my way of making the difference. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. Bye-bye. Leanne, so many people struggle and get stuck by asking the question, why? Why did this happen, and, and why my family? What do you say to why? Why not me? Why not? Instead of why, why not? And that was that statement that I said in the bathroom when I said, I'm not the first mom to lose a kid. So if I'm not the first, then there were a whole bunch of others. And what I wanted to know instead of why was how did they survive? Tell me how. I'm not, I, don't, I don't need to know the why. Um, it doesn't change anything. Why doesn't bring Andy back? And so, therefore, if, if answering that question doesn't bring Andy back, then there's no point. And we yeah. will never, we could presume we can have all kinds of input on that why, because everybody wants to give you their input on why this happened or why. I, I didn't care. I didn't want to know. My son's not here. How do I move forward? How do I have a, a spiritual relationship with him now in place of the physical? Oh, I love that. Because we didn't, we didn't talk about that other than the fact that we know Andy's still around from evidence from a right. medium. And I'm sure you've had signs, but you still have a relationship with him. Now, let's shift gears here a little bit and talk about Andy's, the Andy Hall Sunshine Foundation. And again, that website is andyssunshine.com. You have a wristband that you wear. Why don't you tell us what's on that and what you mean by that? The wristband simply says you matter, and it came about within four months after Andy passed, I got invited to speak to his high school, and I got to speak to 3,000 kids, and what I wanted them to know was that they had a purpose here, that they mattered. I wanted them to hear that, because, and and it's not just for kids. What I realized throughout the journey is that 
this message resonates with everybody. We at the basic human, every basic human person wants to know that we matter, that we have something we're supposed to do here, that it, whether it's you have that relation, you matter to God or you matter to your family or whatever it is. Maybe you just, I remember telling my mom, isn't it enough? Because she would say to me, you know, I don't feel like I have a purpose. And I said, Is, isn't it enough that you're my mom and, and grandma to my kids? And I I thought, well, and now that sounds so simple, and yet just our being here is mattering enough. And to be comfortable in that being and to not confuse it with doing. Beautiful. That's a really hard thing because we're so attached to the doing being who we are and that is not when i do presentations if i'm doing some with adults i'll ask them at the beginning i want you to tell me who you are and immediately they'll start to give me their like resume and i'll stop them and say no i don't want to know what you do i want to know who you are tell me who you are and why you matter beautiful (laughs) i love that wow you've talked to how many people have you talked to now from that initial three thousand people Oh my gosh, thousands and hundreds, I, 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 I was going to say hundreds of thousands, but I, I don't know. It's been five years. I can tell you that we distributed in one year over 100,000 wristbands worldwide to Australia, Scotland, that message. People want that message. Yeah. And it's You're- so simple to connect with someone else. You know, just to tell someone else, the barista at the coffee shop or the valet parker, hey, you did a, you did a really good job for me today. I just wanted you to know that you matter. Thank you. Wow. How simple is that? Very simple, yet so few do it. We can all do it. Everybody that's listening, do that. Make, let somebody today know how much they matter. Now, um, Leanne, in the talk you gave at the Helping Parents Heal Conference, you, you said that your mission is suicide prevention. In fact, you had this big vision that somebody in the back, they, they kind of smiled like like that's going to happen. You wanted to make it. What was your mission? That big one. Well, I obviously I'd, I'd love. I want to be a worldwide speaker. I want to share this message all over the world and help teach coping skills. I want to teach the difference between decisions and emotions and and put people back in the driver's seat instead of sitting over there in the passenger seat and and blaming your life because you have no control. That's because you're sitting in the passenger seat. That's why you have no control. So it's... I'm and, and you want and you that. want to make it so that people don't even get to the point where they think about right. suicide, and and that begins with coping skills and and better better thought processes and and better awareness. Um, when I when I do workshops with adults, I had an opportunity to do one that lasted eight hours the other day. It was a whole group of administrators, and I made them. I told them, I said, "You're going to say first thing we're going to do is you're going to say the word suicide," and they're mm-hmm. like horrified. I said, I want you to be comfortable with that word. I do not want you to be comfortable with suicide. That's not what I'm asking you to be. I'm asking you to be comfortable with the word because when you are comfortable with the word, then you're not going to be afraid to listen to someone else who might be feeling that. But if you can't even say it yourself, you certainly can't help anybody or yourself if you can't address the issue. 
What a great point. We gotta, we gotta and I know head, a lot of people on. hearing that, you, I'll bet you, you guys feel a little clenching in your gut when you hear that. And that's your body saying, pay attention here. There's something you need to clear out and work on. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about triggers. You, you spoke about this before, having images or songs that trigger you. One of the things that got my attention so much when I initially interviewed you for for my book was when you just advised a friend who call you and say, I'm really feeling in the depths of despair right now. I don't know how to get out of it. And you responded by saying, get out, get out of the house, right? Right. It's it's a something that is so simple. I had a girlfriend of mine and she had lost her husband and she called me and she said, I'm just, she said, I just, I, I feel like I'm going crazy, like I don't think I'm going to be able to survive the day. And I said, listen, while we're on the phone, you take the phone. I want you to walk out the front door. And then, and so she did. She walked out the front door, and I said, now take, just take three breaths with me. And I said, now we're going to get you in your car, and I just want you to drive around the block. Something so simple as that. You could walk around the block. You could drive. I, I'm a driver, so I like to get in, and it makes me feel like I'm not so, I'm not so trapped. Mm-hmm. I then feel like I'm part of a bigger picture when I'm out in nature, in the world, and I can breathe easier. Sometimes we have a tendency to think we're safer in our home, if you want to say that, safer. Mm-hmm. And actually, it can actually be more dangerous because you don't have the opportunity to have any other input from anybody else. So maybe I'm going to call a friend right away and say, hey, can you meet me for coffee? I'm certainly going to do something. I'm going to be proactive about what's going on with me at that moment. I never take it lightly. I don't ever just sit on the couch and let it overtake me. (laughs) And and that doesn't mean that I'm not sad. So I don't want anybody to think that I walk around like I'm just you know, high all the time, because that's not the case. But there's a difference between being depressed and being sad, and I'm able to recognize the difference and when it becomes dangerous. It's one thing to be sad. It's another thing to be depressed. And so those people who are in that place, what, what do you recommend? Well, it depends on the level, obviously. You know, I certainly, I'm very clear about when I, give presentations or work workshops. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I I can only speak for myself and the things that I've been able to accomplish in my journey and in looking around at the journey of others. So for someone it may be a clinical depression that they may need. I have called nine one one for a couple of people that I've been on the phone with because I have felt like they needed immediate help. So I'm never going to not take that seriously. I am always going to really listen and and if it's not something that I feel that either they can handle or I can handle, I'm I'm going to find the people that can. I'm going to call someone, I'm going to call 911, whatever that is. And it may be you need to see a counselor, you may need therapy, you may need an antidepressant. I'm certainly not going to tell someone that that is not what they need. I, I can only offer you the things that have been helpful for me and how I've been able to use the skills, the, the tools that I have to help me work through the, the difficult days. 
Yeah. Now you're you're a powerhouse. You from the first moments took charge of this journey. Your journey has been quite different from your husband's. How how have you dealt with that? With grace. Grace and love, patience, and recognizing, I mean, we've been married, May 31st will be our 38th anniversary, so almost here, and what I knew is that my husband and I have always processed things differently, raising the kids, running the business, whatever it is, we we process things totally differently, so what what so many people tend to do when they have a tragedy or a trauma or something like this they think that you're going to suddenly maybe both be on the same page just because you've experienced this trauma together. And what I knew is that he's not going to be, he's not going to process this any different than he processed anything else. He's going to use his same natural personality, just like I, this is my natural personality. This is who I was before Andy transitioned. And, and so I'm going to love him regardless of how he takes this journey. He loved Andy unconditionally. I loved Andy unconditionally. And I'm going to find the emotional support that I might need in at the, on the way that I'm doing it from other places. And that was helping parents heal. That was going to see a medium. That was a group of girlfriends. Whatever that was, that's where I found what I needed so that I could talk about Andy, whereas my husband didn't really it was too painful for him to talk about Andy. So we talked about other things. Didn't mean that but it, <laughs> he it, wasn't hurting. And it was beautiful that he came to the conference, and it's been, what, five years, and he attended your talk for the first time there. He did. It was amazing to see him standing there in the back. And I've, I've almost been waiting, and I shouldn't be waiting for the shoe to fall or whatever, but I keep waiting for him to revert back to the way he was, but I can tell you he's a changed person from Mm. that conference. He talks differently now. He's happy. He's joyful. We can talk about Andy together. Something clicked in him that day, but I had to be patient and love him, and he had to be patient. You know, he had to allow me to take my journey, too, so it was as uncomfortable for him to he could not have done what I did, and I couldn't have done what he did. So it, it's okay when we were patient. And, and, and I love that. I love that you see that difference. Um, you speak about being uncomfortable. It wasn't comfortable for you to go to the support group meetings at first, was it? No. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely not. First of all, you know, I, I was there the first month after Andy passed. so. You know, I'm in the, I'm in the throes of, you know, deep grief, and sure. yet I knew that I didn't have all of the, the tools to move forward. So I had to find. That's why I read. I read 80 books that first year. I went to those meetings month after month after month, whether I felt like it or not, because I knew I needed input, and because there wasn't enough in me to rely upon to to make sure that I could move forward. And I wasn't comfortable with the process either because the groups and you and every, you know, you guys were all speaking a different language than I'd ever spoken. I had never, never (laughs) contemplated the spiritual afterlife journey 
and it's really forbidden in the Christian circles. So that was that was very uncomfortable for probably like probably a good two years before I wow. really became as as you will say, and you know that I've struggled with it, the being yeah. a shining light parent. I didn't even want to say that word. I wanted to be the bereaved parent. Don't call me a shining light parent until I understood really what that meant, that it's yeah. my kid that's the shining light. Our and I'm kids the are the shining that light. That's shining right. Light. And that I can be that because Andy is shining. He is happy. He's, he's amazing. And I just had to keep putting myself in a place to grow and where I could find hope and love and light because that's not in your living room. You have to go out to find those things. Yeah. I wanted wow. them. I wanted them. I love this. And I know it was your soul that nudged you because the human yeah. side of you just wants to crawl up in a ball. And thank goodness you kept following that nudge. All of you listening, you, I know some of you have been there and all of us can recognize when you have this urge and you don't want to do something and you do it anyway. And it turns out for the better. That's the soul. Wow. So with when just a few... Tired and, go ahead, Leanne. You know, I was tired sometimes. You know how everybody is tired and you don't want to go out and go... And you don't want to even be around other people. And yet I knew I needed to be there. And that's now where my circle of friends is. I'm so thankful for it. And not just mine now, but my husband's. So we have couple friends where we can talk about our kids in this... People probably at other tables are wondering about us as we're laughing and talking about the signs we're getting from our kids and how, you know, it's just it's bizarre. And wonderful. Yeah. Now, if you if we go to your website, andyssunshine.com, you see a heading that says, speak up and speak up and stand up. What is that all about? I was asked to come and be part of a suicide awareness uh, convention here just uh, this last January, and they bust kids in from all over the state to help them. They were in workshops, and they had the administrators, they had teachers there, so it was twofold, kids and the, um, and the adults, an opportunity to really take on the subject. The kids are not afraid to take on the subject. They talk about it. They think about it. The adults do not. They don't want to. And so it's finally beginning to turn the corner a little bit, but it's because there have been so many. The suicide rate here in Arizona, it's the leading cause of death for kids ages 9 to 14. Number one. Ouch. You can't ignore that. So. No. Well, I'm grateful I'm for, for people like yeah. you on this mission. So with just a few minutes left, what do we need to make sure? What point need do we need to get across to people that we haven't talked about already? You know, in terms of suicide prevention, I would say the one important key factor is all of us connecting better with one another and projecting love really more. <laughs> I, I limit certain TV shows because I know that they will create anger in me or they reinforce political things that are going on and I don't want to be that. I want when I walk out the door that when people see my face and see me, they're moved. They're yes. moved 
because they're around me and I can connect with their heart. I want to do that. You can be that one person that makes a difference. You may be that one person that keeps someone here on the planet. You have that ability to do that by merely connecting and telling someone that they matter to you. And then probably the from the other, the flip side of how do you survive if you have had a loss of suicide, it's a different kind of passing than so many other kinds of death because there's, there is that stigma and the guilt, and I want you to know that those are choices. And it's, it's what you decide to do with your thought process. It's what you decide to own in this journey. And you can own it. You, you can own this journey. You can be in charge of it, and you have to practice. You can't just say, well, this didn't work. I have new parents that will say, I can't read. I can't focus. Okay, neither could I at first. I kept, I'd reread the paragraph five times. I'd reread the book, whatever it took, but I kept trying. Don't stop trying. Don't stop trying. I've got this um, on, my refrig- on my oven. It says, never, 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 never give up by Winston Churchill. I love that. Never, never, uh-huh. never give up. That goes for people thinking about suicide, and it goes for us who've experienced it. Fantastic. This hour has gone so fast, but it could not have been more powerful. Leanne Hall, I thank you so much for being the voice of love and wisdom on the topic of suicide. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.